This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Nadia Raza, who owns a Pakistani restaurant in Altamont. She was visiting family in Islamabad this summer when the floods came. We didn't even know, she said. I woke up one morning and had text messages and Facebook messages from the entire Altamont community. Heavier monsoon rains and melting glaciers combined to put half of Pakistan underwater, affecting 33 million people and causing losses of over $40 billion. I don't think that it's getting the amount of publicity and the amount of help that they should be getting, Raza said. I'd like to start just by hearing, and I don't know really anything about you, about your relationship with Pakistan. So I was born in Pakistan, and I moved to the U.S. when I was three. Uh, Most of my family resides in the U.S. Um, I do have grandparents that still live in Pakistan, so we have quite a connection um, going back home, trying to visit as much as we possibly can. Um, so I, you know, I like to say I'm American, but I'm a born Pakistani by culture. Oh, that's wonderful. So what part of Pakistan is your family from? We're from the capital, Islamabad. And with the flooding, as I understand it, and I don't have as good a sense of geography as I should of Pakistan, it's about a third of the country that just got inundated. Is Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that the part that your family is in? No. So this was more like the villages, uh, more of like the mountainous areas. Um, the cities, the major cities uh, didn't get as affected as the other smaller areas in the country. And so there's been so much bad news in so many different parts of the world lately that yes. I worry something as huge and important as this isn't getting the kind of support maybe that it normally would from Americans just because we're so inundated you know, hearing about Ukraine, hearing about now Puerto Rico being hit again yeah. by a hurricane. But just tell us a little about what what's happening on the ground as much as you know in Pakistan. Well, while we were there, I was just visiting there with my 15 year old daughter while the flooding was was happening. And we didn't even know. I woke up one morning and I had text messages and Facebook messages from the entire Altamont community. And I'm thinking, you know, why is Chairman Deb Hext messaging me? And I'm going through all of my messages and realized that the flooding had happened that morning while we were sleeping, because obviously there's a huge time difference. Um, And, you know, we woke up to watching the news and realizing that a third of the country was wiped away. And as we started to notice more and more and started watching the news, we were seeing millions, millions of people uh, had become homeless, lost their homes, lost their lives. Um, And, you know, I was, getting sent videos from my family that was residing that that still resides there now of um, flocks of people just walking in these 
big bodies of water and, you know, state and, oh, they're so, these videos are so sad and traumatizing. It was just, they're walking. And, and the one guy I remember is saying, you know, we've been walking for 10, 12 hours and someone, someone out of this group, one of the kids is bound to get tired. And I'm thinking in my head, oh my God, how are they going to get through this? You know, if somebody gets tired and there's water all the way up to their knees, how are they going to sleep? And these videos were so disturbing. And you're right. I don't think that it's getting the amount of publicity and the amount of help that they they should be getting. You know, of course, we have our own problems in the U.S. I'm not saying that we should reach out to other countries and be a Band-Aid for everybody else around. But I mean, this this was a this was probably one of the the worst natural disasters um, in the history of disasters. And um, I just don't think that they're receiving as much help as they possibly can. Yeah. I mean, 33 million people have been displaced. That's just a a stunning number just to try to even comprehend it. So you were there in mid-June when this occurred? You You were visiting in the midst of this? Yes. I, well, this just the, this flooding just recently happened. So we were there. Yeah, we were just there. Wow. So yeah. um, now the concern, at least according to an Associated Press story I read, is that even as the waters are receding, there's not just so much damage, but there's infection that is... Um, you know, breeding in the in the residue of the water, and people yeah. are just facing a massive amounts of disease at the same oh, time. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, are you aware of any particular relief efforts or any particular ways that people can donate or contribute? Or I did I did get a couple of links because I really was interested in helping when I got back from my trip. Um, but we've all been under the weather with this with this change of weather. So I do have um, a link that I can forward over to you that I've been using personally, my family and I to donate. Um, I know that, you know, the money is it, that's going to take a long time to replace their homes and these things that they need. But I know that they're lacking materialistic things. These kids don't have shoes and clothes and food. And, you know, they've lost families that were um, living off of cattle, like, you know, their cows or their, their lamb and goat, they, everything drowned, everything was gone. I don't know the, um, the amount of cattle that they lost the percentage, but it was a very large livestock that, was gone. So I was, you know, I was thinking even if the community, just by knowing that I am of Pakistani descent, just knowing that I'm here, you know, doing as much as I can for for the Altamont community, for the capital district, even a dollar per household would, wouldn't affect us, you know, as much as it would actually help the people that need it there. Yeah. So even a minimal amount, I was thinking a dollar, you know, and of course, people have been a lot more generous than that. But something even as small as that would go a very long way. Well, send me the link and I'll put it 
in print as well as add it to the podcast so people know because lots of times you don't know what's a reputable place to donate and yes you know it's good to have a, a specific place but I'd like to just hear more about you as a person because um it's such a unusual thing you did to open this restaurant. As I understand, it was kind of a midlife change, of course. And I, I looked up on your Facebook page last night, this amazing post you did in July where you were um, talking about how the tendency is to just try to get a secure job. And you had managed these dental offices and certainly had a really good job and yeah. just gave it all up because you thought it was important to do something that you really cared about. And that itself yeah. is such an inspirational story. If you could just kind of back up and tell us, kind of walk us through your life. You said you were born in Pakistan. What what brought your family What brought your family here yeah. when you were three? What what was the my impetus? my my aunt is a pediatrician in Terrytown, so a lot of my family is from Westchester County. And she, you know, she sent the paperwork to my dad and her other siblings, and they all decided that this was in the best interest of all the kids in our futures. And so, you know, we all migrated here and ended up staying. And, and a lot of my family, they're professionals in Westchester. Uh, my dad is a businessman. My mom was in dentistry with me for I think she was in it for about 25 plus years. I was in it for 18. Um, and so, you know, the culture, we, we visit frequently. So although we're American, we I'm very, very in tune with my culture. Um, I like the kids to know the language and the food. And, you know, I, I try to teach them as much as I can because we are in a melting pot here. And um, sometimes kids, especially teenagers, they tend to forget um, their culture and where they come from. So we're very in tune with that. Um, I was always, even, even in all my years of dentistry, I was extremely passionate about food and this industry. And I would, you know, I'd get a booth at the fair and randomly take off from my dental job for a week and tell my doctors, you know, I'm going to go and make kebab rolls. And they got such a kick out of it. But it just, it was something that attracted me all the time. And we come from a family of really amazing chefs, just by passion, not profession. You know, my parents love to cook. My grandfather was an excellent cook. Um, the men in our family, I think, are even better than the women, which is surprisingly funny. But um, so, you know, I always ventured into these small booths and you know, doing a Bollywood event at Proctor's and I would drag the little kids with me at the time. We only had the two. Now we have a toddler, two and a half year old. But the at the time, the teenagers were like seven and eight. And I would say, come on, you know, we're going to sell some kebab rolls. And the kids would want to sell cotton candy and cookies. So um, when the pandemic happened um, and we had little Joey, who's now two and a half, we I just, you know, I decided that dentistry wasn't the safest for the family. Um, at the time, my dentists weren't sure how COVID was going to affect infants. And of course, the aerosols were all over the air in all of my dental offices. So I decided to take a little bit longer of a maternity leave uh, than was planned. And in that midst of me taking that time off, we noticed that this place that we have now on Main Street was vacant. And 
my husband said, you know, why don't you, let's just go take a look at it, follow your dream and, and leave your job. And, you know, let's open this restaurant. And I'm like, Oh my God, Joe, no, I have a steady income. Like, you know, although I love Altamont, I just, I don't know if I could do, I, I like doing the fairs like here and there part-time, but I don't know if I can go into this. So anyways, we came in, we met with our landlord and it was like an immediate spark. Like he, he saw the vision he believed in like how passionate I was about opening this restaurant. And, you know, my husband said, are you sure you want to do Pakistani food though? Like we're in a community that you're really going to have to get people out of their comfort zone. And this is what I wanted. This, this was it. I said, it's, it's either this or nothing. Um, and yeah, we opened in the heart of a pandemic. We introduced a brand new culture um, and cuisine to Altamont and I think that things are going really well. We're very popular. Um, we're very hospitable. People come in. We're, you know, we've, we have regular guests that come in now over and over. Um, and we've gotten our name out there in about two years. Yeah, I've dined there and it's beyond hospitable. And you yourself are somebody that, you know, you're not behind the scenes. You're out there chatting with people and sharing and it, it just yeah. it feels like home when you're there. So yeah. <laughs> but you do have you just told me before we started recording, there is still prejudice out there. I mean, you said there was this terrible phone call. Someone on your staff got this Tuesday. Um, yeah. So disheartening. Uh, so disheartening because I thought we've come such a long way. I thought that we were bringing so much positivity into the community. Um, and this phone call was very disheartening. I mean, my 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 staff, she was disturbed. And, you know, it's just you can't take the ugly out of everybody. You, you can do so much to introduce um, kindness and make sure that people will do to do the right thing. But there, there's always going to be someone out there that is displeased or uh, prejudiced or racist. Well, I'm sorry you have to endure that. So tell us a little about, as I understood, just kind of looking around, trying to figure out more about you. You were also for a time a fashion designer. Is that right? And you had a business. Tell us, <laughs> tell us about that, because that's a very, yet again, diverse piece of you. Not the yes. food, not the dentistry, not the business part. Or maybe it was yeah. a business, too. So when I left college, I... Uh, Moved to Pakistan and got married there. Obviously, my first marriage got married there, had two little kids who are now teenagers. And um, the workforce for women, um, there's not much of a workforce for women. You can't just go out and say, all right, I want to go into a retail store and work or I want to go into a dental office and be a manager. That's just not the way the society there is. So women started to open up their own small businesses. And so, of course, coming from an American background, um, you know, I, I went to SUNY Albany. I minored in psychology and I majored in business. So I always had that business um, interest in me. And so I decided that I was going to become a fashion designer. And I was one of the first few women to do that in Pakistan. 
And my concept was, and the concept still is now with this restaurant. And, and I'll tell you because it's funny. My concept then was to bring in a Western and Eastern touch into clothing so that women that are coming from the U.S. that don't want things that are very traditional, that want something a little bit Western, they can come in and pick something out at my boutique. Um, and so I did that. So it was kind of like East meets West. Um, I did a lot of work with India. I went to India about seven, eight times during my fashion designing career, um, brought in, you know, saris from there and would take clothes from from Pakistan and kind of did the whole import export thing. Um, I did a show called Apna. Apna is a uh, doctor's convention. They all meet up once a year um, and it started. I mean, it's been going on for years, but. I was one of the first few women to go into an Upna show. It's like a five-day event and um, sell clothes. So I would take about 400 outfits. And by the fifth day, I would sell out. And, you know, I had the two toddlers with me. My mom would come to help. And it was just, it was a fun, fun. Uh, I did that for about four or five years. And then I decided to leave Pakistan and uh, move back to the U.S., where I again joined dentistry had my two toddlers with me. Um, and so, you know, I still, I did a little bit of fashion designing, but when you're in a full-time job um, as a regional manager, managing three dental offices, it was just hard to keep up with my clients. And, you know, people would have weddings and they would have like time frames, And I just, I, I had to let go because I couldn't juggle the kids and a full-time job and the clothing. So after seven years, I did leave that, but that, again, that was my passion. And, and now I see the same passion coming into this industry where right now we're Pakistani, we're authentic Pakistani cuisine. My chef is 70 years old. He's been cooking for 45 years. So he's incredible back there. But this addition, we're, we're adding about 3000 square feet onto our current restaurant. And the addition is going to be all American food. And again, I kind of want to do like East meets West. We, we do a lot of fusion right now. Um, we do a lot of like chicken tikka nachos and creme brulee naan, you know, things that are fun and fusion. But that side is going to be strictly American food. And that vision was from day one. My, my landlord and I had discussed that we're going to expand this area because what we have now is kind of small. And then we're going to have two types of cuisine when we open. So two chefs, two menus, one restaurant, one kitchen, but kind of like a East meets West. So when I decided that I wanted to open up this um, authentic Pakistani restaurant, I had a vision in my mind. And my husband is a builder. Um, he, you know, we have a construction company. And I kind of just, I, I explained to him what I was envisioning. And um, you visited the restaurant. So when you first enter, there's a sit down area with cushions. Um, and it's a very popular area. You know, people make reservations just to sit there. Um, we didn't draw out anything. We didn't have uh, an architectural plan for that area. I just kind of explained to Joe what I was envisioning. And within a week, he built me exactly what I had in my mind. It, it you know, so interesting that it worked out that way. Um, and then everything, everything is imported from paintings to the cutlery, to the bowl, the serving bowls. You know, I, I ordered everything from back home and had everything shipped over so that I could give it that ethnic feel um, of it, you know, of, of you feeling like you're entering a whole new world. Um, so, so, you know, the restaurant turned out to be exactly what I envisioned.
And then tell us a little about, you mentioned in passing, your 70-year-old chef. (laughs) Who is he, and is he Pakistani as well? Yeah, so chef is Pakistani. And chef and I have quite um, a history of friendship. So chef has been in the Capital District for a very long time. And during college, I would follow chef wherever he worked. So if he was in a tiny little hole in the wall in downtown Albany, I would be there. Um, You know, he started working at this little place in Schenectady and I, um, I followed him there. He, you know, it was a takeout place only and there was no sit down, but I would drag the kids and we would make a little table outside and we would have him serve us his delicious food. And so when I opened the restaurant, I reached out to chef and I said, hey, I'm you know, opening this restaurant. He said, I'm so sorry, I'm committed. I, I'm working somewhere in Schenectady and it wouldn't be fair to them for me to leave. And I said, of course not, chef, you know, you're doing the right thing. So anyways, I got another family. They they um, relocated from Florida for us. Um, and like within a month and a half of them being employed, it kind of didn't work out. I knew that it, it wasn't what I was looking for. And um, the wife, it was a family that was working, it was husband, wife, and son. And the wife um, got really sick. And then out of the blue, how, how strange, you know, strangely the universe works. Um, out of the blue, chef decided to call me and he said, hey, I, I'm free now. Do you have a job for me? And, you know, at the time, I said, Chef, well, my current lady who's working for me is out sick, but she's going to come back. And I don't know if I can afford two head chefs. He said, well, let me come and just you know, kind of take a look around and and, you know, let me see if, if this is something that's going to work out for us. And so he came in, he came in and he worked for a week and then they just kind of transitioned. She decided to leave. They, they relocated to Vermont. They left. And I've had chef for almost two years now. <laughs> what a so wonderful. Chef, so chef, yeah, chef is, um, has been a friend. Um, he's been a peer, you know, I've followed him all around, um, for his, for his personal food that he cooks. So we've, we've gone to every restaurant where he's been uh, employed and now he's all ours. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Well, we should probably close out with some more talk about the flooding. And do you just have any sense? I know you said your immediate family isn't in that region, but just how it's affected them or your friends that are there. I mean, the whole country must be caught up in this suffering that that this has caused. Personally, my friends and cousins back home are actually like a part of the relief group and helping with physically going in and trying to structure these homes. And they're like a a huge part of the recovery of of the entire situation that's happened there. So my friends and family that I speak to on a daily basis, they're like hands on like ready to go in. They're just waiting for the finances to go in and help build. And, you know, if we were still there, my brother and I were in Pakistan together with my 15 year old and we were discussing this. We said, you know, if we could stay a little bit longer, we, we would help. We would physically be there trying to do as much as we could 
but because our jobs called us back, we had to come back. <laughs> but you know, it, it it's, it, it's really disheartening. It's really sad what's happening there. And I'm glad that my friends and family are a big part of trying to reconstruct it all. So you talk to them daily. Is that what you said? You talk to them every oh, yeah. day? We're, oh, yeah. We're trying to get updates as much as we can. You know, we want to know how much they've how much they've actually like collected in donations and how how quickly this recovery process can start. Yeah, I'm on I'm in touch with them on Facebook, text, WhatsApp. So is there a sense of frustration that there isn't more aid pouring in or is there a sense of just accepting what is or like what's the what's the mood? What's the I don't think they have a choice. I think they're just kind of being grateful for what they're getting. Uh huh. And it's going to be a very slow recovery process. So, you know, we, we can't be upset. We, we need to just be grateful for the ones that are putting a helping hand and trying to donate what they can. Well, do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Anything about you, about the flooding, anything you want to leave us with? I just want to say, you know, any amount will help. That's all. Not because it's me, not because I own a Pakistani restaurant in Altamont, not because this involves me at all. This is actually like a country that's bleeding. And and because it's my country, I can be vocal about it. Um, I would hope that the community would come together, um, even if they can distribute or, you know, contribute a very small, minimal amount. It's going to go a long way. 